Welcome to Who Needs Heroes, this is Nova, where we playtest your games, get your TTRPGs up and running, and try to get a smooth sailing for the future. Um, we, in this session, are... <laughs> I, held up, I held up the tablet for him to read, for him to read our outline, and he just broke. So in this, we playtested Caverns and Cultists by Affinity Tomes. And the people we had playing in this is Austin, John, and myself with uh, Gello running it, who I have actually next to me by this lovely campfire. Yeah, we're actually in person today. This is a special edition. So we did playtest this game in June of 2023. So when you're seeing this, um, it might have been updated by that point. It might not be of the things that we encountered. And maybe some of this stuff got fixed or changed or, or redone, per se. Um, speaking of the, the way things get changed in the future, the formatting and the readability of this system, there, there was a few issues you had when kind of trying to run the game and figuring out what the rules were. What issues did you have regarding the layout and structure of it? Well, first of all, my first issue was that I uh, had an older version of the rule book for the longest time until like the day before the session. That was on me. But once we got it, there was they fixed a couple of issues with the formatting, but I, I still think the formatting of the book needed a little bit of work. There's a lot of cleaning up to do in terms of ambiguity in, like, mana and spell points are mentioned back and forth, and they really should be the same thing because you want to keep those keywords to an absolute minimum. Yeah, because when I was searching for some, I control F a lot in playbooks. I, I, I use control F to to try to search and find things if table of contents aren't structured out well just to find the exact sentence I'm looking for and some spells some classes had them listed as mana per day and then you have spell points and stuff and it was a little a little confusing at first and we had to check in I had to actually ask yellow uh, when we were sitting up our cleric class if they were two different things or if they were the same and they are the same so that that ambiguity being combined and niched into a, a stone template of one word uh, would be fantastic yeah, and there's there's an advanced rules section in there, and I don't know if that's rules for more advanced tables. You want to bring, like, optional rules, or if that's just a section where they threw a bunch of rules that they didn't know what to deal with, what to where to put them. Yeah, I think definitely having that in an optional rules uh, that you could kind of pick from from a table would be better. Advanced rules kind of made it seem like that was just a more in-depth explanation and was showcasing what the rules already as stated are, but explaining it more thoroughly. Making it say something along the lines of optional or things like that would help alleviate the issues of, do I need to do this or is this uh, optional? Yeah, and there's, there's a couple of other things where, you know, sneak attacks are harder than normal attacks on people who have negative dexterity bonuses or agility bonuses. Level 10 bonuses for subclasses are displayed before the level 1 or level 3 bonuses in the like actual subclass list. A lot of things that can be fixed just with like a read-through. Not, not really a problem with the system quite yet, but... One thing I did notice, because you were mentioning a few specifics, was that if you're playing the warrior... You can do unarmed attacks, and it can be lethal when grappling, but that's listed in the grapple section instead of being listed in the brawler section of the warrior path. But again, those are just a little bit smaller, nitpicky things with the overall structure of what we're looking at. Yeah, overall, they 
I feel like they need to be using a lot more like lawyer speak is the best way to put it. They need to be more specific with how uh, abilities are laid out, be able to catch more um, ambiguity in the rules. But again, a lot of that can just be rewritten to better conform to the rules that they actually have in terms of what they've laid out. Speaking of layouts, character creation. I had a lot of fun making my character, but I did feel like there was a lot missing with it. Um, before I speak about like my experience with making it for me playing the game, how did you feel when going over the classes? Were there anything that seemed to be kind of broken from a first standpoint? How did the character creation seem when you're looking at it from a broad perspective as, a, as the GM for the game? It really feels like they left the mages out to dry a little bit. As weird as that sounds, because the mages are OP in this game, they didn't give them nearly as much options as the martial characters. As weird as that sounds, because the spellcasters are so overpowered because of the way the spell works, which we'll get to that in a second, they only have the three, the four spells that they have access to that just are supposed to take care of everything. And they get like one ability on top of that. Yeah, I noticed. I didn't play the spellcaster myself as I played the warrior class, but I noticed it was very open-ended with using magic in general to be left to the interpretation of the user and the DM and you kind of deciding what you want to do and burning spell slots in, into the magic you're using itself. Um, again, we'll get into that later with our issues and our, our, our love of that as well. Um, but I definitely agree. It looked like you only had one section you could go through with mage i did notice that cleric was swapped to zealot which allowed you to have a few different sections but they were a little bit more cut and dry and short compared to the rest right yeah like uh zealot had three subclasses and warrior had what like 10 yeah it was a lot <laughs> which i mean that's cool and all but you really don't want Especially with the spellcasters being as powerful as they are, you don't want them to just be one note. You can only do one thing, and that's blow up and kill everything. I did notice that even though the warrior had probably, I mean, ten different things you could go down in, it was very small the niches that it fit inside of. You could only do a few tiny things with those classes where every five levels you got one small thing. Levels up level ups kind of felt like it was shoveling you into one tiny little category and your class didn't get a lot. And I don't think that's an issue with the system. I think it's just early days early on and they don't have a lot written for it. I think as the book gets written more and as more comes out and it gets more fleshed. It'll be really good seeing the different niches these things can fill. But Magic definitely felt like it was added sooner and more recent than the rest, which I think is just the creative process, right? Like if they just added Magic to the game, then they're going to have less different branches and everything is going to kind of be in one. But I did notice Mage and, and, and Healer, Zealot, was uh, kind of their own thing. So the game definitely feels like you're supposed to be leveling up quickly, which is weird because it also feels like you're supposed to have more of an attrition game plan as a GM, uh, draining of resources slowly over time. 
I feel like these two mechanics fight each other a little bit. And I, I'm not I'm not sure exactly how that's supposed to work together. Because you get the resources from level up, but you're also supposed to be losing them over time and many battles. I, I guess it can work well if you have the nice a nice balance for it, but we were we really didn't have the time to build up to that. That's definitely something you would see in a longer played game where you can draw out these sessions, draw out these encounters, these dungeon dives, these kind of uh, engagements you're having. Let this run on for longer, soak up that experience, use the resources, get almost out of them, um, and then a, either a level up or one small critical rest kind of lets you save the moment and continue on. Um, us trying to kind of put it all into our tight schedule between games and playing them for, I mean, we do a few hours for sessions, so it, it's, it's fine in that sense. But we're trying to explore multiple avenues between combat and exploration and seeing different things. So it's kind of hard to use all the resources of a certain thing that makes it really struggle and then also level up at the same time. That, that, I totally get that. When you're having these longer sessions and longer periods of plays, you're going to encounter multiple skills and multiple checks you're going to have to do for stuff. Um, how did you feel about the overall structure of how many skills your character can do at low levels and how proficient you are at them in multiple different avenues of everyday life in the minds of your hero per se going through uh the game so i have a little bit of a gripe with one of the skills in this game i know you should be exploring a lot and i know you should the gm wants it to be run as you you know trekking and exploring through this you know foreign not wasteland but foreign place i know the creator wants cartography to be a very important skill here but i i don't know i feel like it fits better in they have their own skill for vocations for jobs i thought it was a cool idea to have two different skills op two different skill options for your skills but i guess this was a uh, just the older review and it was they were deciding which skill it uses but personal biases aside, uh, the one thing I'm a little worried about is the fact that there's a lot of skills, like, I don't have the table pulled up in front of me now, but it's, it's similar if a little bit lower in difficulty to normal Dungeons & Dragons stuff, where easy DC 5, normal is 10, trained is 15, stuff like that. But when you're rolling for these things... If you're not trained in the skill, you roll 1d6 instead of 3d6, which is the rest of the game. So you only have a third of a chance of actually... A third of, a third of the numbers that you can achieve, essentially. And there's a lot of like easy checks and normal checks that if you're untrained and a savant in the ability, you can't hit... There's a possibility you just roll a two or a one. Heck, there's times when you can roll a six and not be trained and not get it just because I guess you don't know how to do athletics good. See, I can understand where this would be frustrating um, for a lot of people. Me, personally, I like the grittiness of this. I like the I like the games with the inventory management, the kind of metagaming to plan your team, build stuff around encounters. Everyone specializes in stuff. Also with this game, 
level ups give you a lot of skills and if you want to be a jack of all trades kind of excel at anything that might pop up a little bit not be perfect at it you can just keep fishing to grab it by levels and by level five or six you'll have everything it's kind of far um to be good at you know jumping over a river and then you know not falling on your face and then uh, kind of hitting a door a little hard um but I do like the aspect of if you're not good at lock picking and you've never personally done it, you're going to break the lock every time. And then if you've never ridden a horse in your life and you've been working on a farm and doing this and you're strong at kind of tilling the land, you're not going to be able to ride an animal and deal with combat. You're not going to be able to talk to somebody if you've kind of been reclusive in your in your studies of your group in some kind of holy college or something. And then now you have to persuade a guard to let you go by. You're going to stumble and it's going to be exceptionally hard for you to do that in intense scenarios. So I really like this aspect because it lets the character that's good at it, the person that is good at that one thing shine by taking the step and taking the lead. And it lets each person kind of handle the forefront but you have to be with a party and people you trust knowing that hey this person's character is good for this it's in their backstory it's in their role play this is who they are let them take it i don't need to try to convince this guy here because my characters never dealt with guards with big swords i'm not good at persuading i'm not good at lying i shouldn't even fucking try because they're gonna think i'm suspicious and probably kill us you should let somebody that is a criminal or a thief or good at chicanery, all that stuff, do those acts because that is that that person. But that that takes knowing who you're playing with, what they're good at, and understanding the game a little bit more. You have to be really into it. You can't, you really can't make mistakes with this system, and I kind of like that. I feel like the um, the fact that you only get one d6 instead of three d6. If you're not trained in it, there there are skills on there like athletics, like acrobatics, that if you have a lot of body, I guess is the stat, I don't remember what it is, in you still will fail easy checks. Again, I, I'd like those things to be possible. I'd, I'd rather them have 2d6 instead of 1d6 for the untrained uh, ability checks, because at least then you can get up to a 12 and a 15 for a like hard check and be able to have the possibility of at least of making that and with the 2d6 instead of 3d6 that reminds me of of our main issue and what kind of ended our run uh, a little early which i liked because this the system really highlights that is mana dumping being able to put extra dice extra stats extra numbers into it this comes back to the mana roll and the mana pool and magic and it kind of seeming to be a little bit newer. How do you feel about the ability to mana dump as somebody that, uh, what, put 11 pools into it? I will say one small dig out of the uh, area that I was supposed to talk about this in is uh, they don't tell you what the challenge ratings are supposed to match up to. So I'm just floundering about trying to figure out what they're intending for this. So I sent a challenge rating for a caster at them who has 11 mana. They're all within 10 feet of each other. There is no downside to dumping every ounce of mana that she has into this party just is as damage. One for one for D6s. I, I, we, we, especially because she was hurt. She need, she saw a, a guard of hers go down in a fight. 
she saw all of this together and you could say we were supposed to be a little bit further apart stagger a little bit we were running through alleyways you couldn't it was it was a case of bad luck but yeah why wouldn't she dump 11 points of men on us like here here's the thing the players are going to have to in this system, they know they're going to have to fight through multiple things. They can still man a dump, but it's like, okay, we'll make something easier first so then when the harder stuff gets there, everyone else still has a bunch of resources. But these these enemies, they're going to die probably. <laughs> so why wouldn't they just dump everything they have? If that was a full party of level 4, if I let them level up one more time, they still all would have died to that one character regardless of what they roll on their saves like that was double their health the highest health of person's damage so i think with spending mana in a turn it's got to be limited in some way either strictly by only letting you cast an amount of mana equal to your level per turn or more fluidly like increasing exponentially the cost of mana to increase the damage and range and all this other stuff what can you actually do with dumping mana what can you what, what does dumping mana mean in this system how does the spell casting and mana work okay well there's three spells only one of which at this point in the game actually matters the assault spell it's a spell save in an area 10 foot radius for a d6 of damage or half on a save you know normal stuff but you can spend additional mana to empower it in different ways up to uh, you can increase the damage by 1d6 for one mana I think that's that's a little cheap that's a little cheap to increase the damage considering that the uh, players start out at six health and don't go up very much from there and the other things are one mana to increase the damage range by 10 feet. That's a that's 20 foot width of uh, area increase, which is, by the way, squared if people are all on the ground, cubed if you've got flyers of an area increase for one mana. You have the specialized assault, which allows it to go over longer ranges. Then you can affect you can effectively increase the range of the spell more but all these things are so fucking cheap they don't grow in cost you have 11 mana you see the thing in front of you that uh that wants to kill you there is no downside if you know there's going to be no other fights today there is no downside dumping everything you have into the first attack on the first turn but that's the big thing is knowing there's no other fights. As the players, it hurts you because you don't know what's in store. If this is a big boss, sure, nuke them. But if you're doing the resource drain, the dungeon crawl, the diving, the moving on between herds and herds of different in encounters throughout your day, your adventure, because resting is not that easy in this. You're not going to be able to comfortably dump this. But as the GM running it, why, you're just going to dump it. You're just going to kill them. Which is why I think I agree with you that all of these points are really strong, but they're balanced out. If you cap it to only so many sections of them, only maybe, maybe picking one, or having it such as the cleric does, where you can only do it once per day per two levels. So say you're level three, you can add one mana 
or maybe two mana. You can do two, add an extra mana at level one. So every two levels, you can dump one more mana per spell. This lets the action economy kind of go around, let more people do things, let it be less of a nuke and more of I'm going to spend more of my energy to do more damage right now, but I still have options. That was the main spell. There's also other spells, the defensive spell, which only really matters if you know exactly what you're going up against because it only defends against one magical energy at a time. So just so everyone's aware, the audio is going to be a little bit different because we had to move inside because we got rained out. So the summoning spell seems to be very powerful but very specific to each type of mage. Uh, you get like a weird minion. I didn't look through all the minions, but you know, summoning another thing to fight for you is always going to be very powerful in a turn-based game where not a lot of damage is a lot of damage. The last thing is the manipulation spell. I, I get that you want to cover a lot of bases with this. It's, it's a very open-ended spell. It's got a duration of one hour or until dispelled. And it's got this thing where the DM has to tell you how much mana an effect is going to cost, which I puts a little bit of extra oness on the DM to figure this stuff out. It definitely seems like one of those, instead of creating spells and having to do a huge spell list to choose from, it's more of, like you said, flexibility with the, with the GM and the player that's coming up with it to kind of choose what makes sense to allow yourself to have these abilities, which is really cool if you have a very creative character that wants to come up with unique stuff and can work with the GM and both of them can kind of communicate to find out exactly what would be balanced. But they did have a poll on their Twitter on their Twitter asking about that, asking if people preferred spell lists or kind of open-ended free spells that you kind of choose and exactly how the system is. And the overwhelming majority chose spell list. So Depending on how they're going, I think they might fine-tune that into creating different schools of magic or different spell lists, per se. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so moving on from the spells, I actually want to talk about the initiative in the game, which was very, very, very frustrating for one of our party members. Initiative being static, I, I don't think I've ever liked always knowing what order everyone goes in and never having like any uh switcheroo with that is i don't know it just i don't it doesn't feel good suggestion there just make initiative a bonus to a d6 roll or a 3d6 roll and let it go from there uh so with all of that talk about combat how did we feel about the difficulty so if you build your character around defense level at first, you will not get hit. Except for, of course, what happened to us, the, the, new, the new edition of magic and the way magic works. But it can be very, very strong and almost impossible to get hit. But if you can get hit, it always feels bad. Uh, this game is extremely difficult. I personally really like it. I think if you sit down with your group your friends and plan everything with all of your characters, everything you're leveling up, you're super meticulous, like all of your fights, you're super planned for. 
it'll feel really good overcoming these challenges. That's saying it does really suck to go through building characters and doing all this just to die really fast. You have to be in the mood to play a hard game where you will die. And with that comes hard games need to be balanced. So I think the difficulty will feel better when magic kind of gets nerfed down a little bit or more fine-tuned per se. Then I don't think the game will be that bad. Yeah, I did. it does feel very weird though when you have a very high defense level and you're still going up against enemies that can one-shot you. It's just 80% of the time they're not going to hit you. So yeah. balancing <laughs> that to make it feel like you're like facing a challenge but not being robbed when you get one shot is it seems like a difficult thing i i'm probably just not cut out for it i'm not a person to say hey my difficulty is going to be in extremely lethal fights i'm more of a long long drawn out resource management type dm i like that side of it more so Moving on to the tools, the GM tools, and most of this is going to be me. The stat blocks I found were fairly easy to read with the one exception of I have no fucking idea what encounter level means. Is it like challenge rating in Dungeons and Dragons? Is it like a party of four should go up against uh, a challenge rating of the same average level? I don't know. It's never explained what encounter level is, and I'm sure they'll get to that in a later revision. Uh, other than that, it does a fairly good job of telling you the numbers, why the numbers are that way, and giving you the attacks in a concise and, I'd say, fairly clear manner. It might just be because I'm used to reading blocks of text at a time, but I can read these fairly easily. I did see that they had a plethora of stat blocks to choose from at the end of the book. It seemed like there were a lot there of are things. So many stat blocks. They're in a range of uh, levels. There are also um, abilities attached to different races that looks like they're playable. If you want to incorporate some enemies into the players so maybe that's in a weird spot i'm not sure if that's playable or if that's just like attach this to any deep dwarf uh stat block but it's a i think it's cool i remember the older version of the handbook that i got where there was a, a place's description or name was berg berg burb and that has stuck with me for a while and i love it but i was more looking at the mechanics of this because they said it was going to be a hard game than the lore but from what i do see there is a lot of like a decent amount of lore there's areas of note there's different cities that they actually wrote out small descriptions for guilds different planes different demigods and gods it's extensive for a uh, for a system. We don't see a lot of these in in a lot of uh, books. It definitely seems like a game where 
the creators wanted a, a, a niche to play with their friends. So they made a system around how they want to play a game. And they played multiple campaigns and took those campaigns and fleshed them out and made a big living book out of them. And I, I think that's really cool. It, it definitely feels like a world could be here. It's just how long you could explore that world with how easy it is to die. <laughs> but uh, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. So with all of that being said, the GM section being covered, the most important recommendations I would have is please bump the untrained skill checks up from 1d6 to 2d6 and address some some of the smaller mechanics things like rolling for initiative and addressing the critical hit rules for if they have 46 to hit and also mana dumping fine-tune that just a little bit more i know that yes. i know that's i know that's going to be touched that has definitely to be the biggest the biggest one is mana dumping but i know they were already talking about it before we said anything so yeah <laughs> So the readability, it was a lot of text. Some things were out of order, but that's going to be getting fixed. With the amount of uh, mechanics depth it has, with the amount of crunch it has, it's a very nice niche D&D &D and the Powered by the Apocalypse games because I do see that it's a fourth edition or third edition leveling system on top of a 3d6 system um i don't think the system is super flexible outside of you know dark fantasy but it's specially made for that so i will definitely be wanting to play this again especially when the magic gets tuned up a little bit i i think i will try to find a group to at least have a little game of this in because i do like the nitty gritty hardcore stuff. I think once we ran it through and died or kind of achieved something, I'd probably put it on the back burner and put it to the side for a while, but I'd come back to it anytime I'm, I'm feeling like a hardcore run. Yeah. I definitely think, um, I wouldn't run it cause it's not my type of game, but if it's on the table, I'll play it every once in a while. So overall, I'm going to give this, a five it's right in the middle of where all of this stuff is now you might just be like hey you're giving this a low score i am because i don't like these games but i can acknowledge that it was made with love and for the people that do like these games you know i believe you could i also gave it a five as well on our on our chart not only because you can't have perfect games everywhere in the game. The game's uh, in its earlier stages compared to some. But the reason I gave it a 5 after going through our rubric and all that is mainly because I think this game is an 8 when I'm in the mood for this type of game. I think it's an 8 or a 9 if I'm, if I'm wanting this for the short time that I'm playing. But most of the time in most of my games, it will feel more like a 4 or a 5 because it doesn't, it doesn't fit that fit that objective of what I'm wanting our players to feel at a table. But I definitely could see this being really high up there for a lot of people that like their very strategic and very punishing games. I think this would be a little bit higher on the table for you. Yeah, and if, if someone else ran it, I would play it. But it's not my, my type to run. 
And with that, I think we've about covered everything. I like the game. I like their faces. I like where they're going with it. Um, I can't wait to see, honestly, when it when it comes out, I'll definitely want to check it out again, take a look at it. Definitely interested to see how they curb magic because they have, I'd say, their work cut out for them and the balancing aspect <laughs> of introducing magic. It'd almost be easier to say this world is a magicless world. Yeah. But that wouldn't be as fun. So uh, best of luck. The people are fantastic. But as always, I love every single one of you, and I hope you have a fantastic day for the rest of whatever day it is for you currently. And good luck tomorrow. You're going to need it.